When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money Express. I'm Glenn James. I'm talking today with Tony Boyd. He's the Chantelier columnist for the Australian Financial Review. He's had over 35 years in finance journalism. And we're talking about the demise of Zinja and neobanks in general. Now, at the end of last year, uh, Zinja announced that they were stopping their banking services and handing back their ADI. So, thank you to Tony for joining me this afternoon. The date as at this recording is the 13th of January and there's a link to the AFR article for those who subscribe in the show notes. It's a new year and we've got a heap of new stuff happening in the My Millennial Money world. Two things I want to talk to you about right now. Number one, our new podcast, My Millennial Health. It's live. It's out right now. So, if you want to get your health in order, it's a banging podcast. Jess Spendlove and Chloe McLeod, they are advanced sport dietitians. They're covering a heap of topics, not just health. Uh, there's three episodes up right now, mindset, uh, exercise, and setting your new year stronger. Secondly, if you want to get thoughts out of your head onto paper, we've also launched the My Money Journal. There's a link in the show notes to the journal. Uh, we've had heaps of people purchase that already, so thank you so much for your support. And on with the show. Tony, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. Yeah, no problem. Glad, glad to be here. What's the lay of the land? Where do we get to for the decision to uh, pull up stumps for this neobank? Well, Glenn, um, it, you know, this, this neobank started with a huge amount of fanfare and uh, aggressively went out to the market offering what were really the highest deposit rates in Australia. I think they got up to, they were at about 2.5% and they were, if you, if you went to any of those comparison websites, they, they were better than anybody. And, um, and that's fine. And it was a great deal for any consumers who took up that offer because, uh, as you know, interest rates have been coming down tremendously. And even now, I think the best sort of term deposit is about 0.8%, 0.9%. So um, anyway, they had very competitive rates. But of course, uh, one of the well-known uh, truths about banking is that the money that you take on deposit, you really have to lend uh, to make money because you make money on the margin between the deposit of 2.5 and, and maybe, I don't know, a, a home mortgage at, uh, well, even they've come down, um, they're, they're probably two and a half now too, but maybe, maybe say a personal loan of 12% and you could make a good profit on that. But uh, unfortunately, they didn't have any loan products and so they were basically funding the uh, term, the, the deposit, uh, with with capital raised from investors. And do you think uh, 
you know, they, they burned through almost $100 million of uh, shareholder capital. Do you mm. think it was, um, you know, we had this strategy to go hard and almost buy clients uh, with that higher interest rate and really have a big marketing play, which I want to talk about. But do you think it was some type of strategy change uh, where the world got too noisy with all these startups and they couldn't get the additional capital needed to uh, effectively give out loans? Well, they did admit in a letter uh, the board sent to all the shareholders on New Year's Eve, uh, which I obtained a copy of yesterday, uh, that um, they just didn't have enough capital to keep to keep this particular business model going. I think the question is, uh, why did they uh, wait so long uh, to get a loan product? Because they still did not have a loan product at the uh, at the death. Compared um, to one of their competitors, Vault. Now, Vault has 70 million in deposits. They limited the deposits to a sort of inner circle, known to the founders and shareholders, and their first lending product is still not out there, but it will be out there soon, and when they do that, they're going into what I would call a very safe area, which is uh, mortgages. And primarily Uh, over 55s, right? Well, um, no, I, I think what I pointed out in the column was that uh, a, a very large percentage of the $70 million in deposits has come from people aged over 55. So I think that just tells you that there's a cohort, there's a group of people who really do live off bank interest. Mm. And when these, uh, you know, neobanks were out there, they were, they were very much attracted to them. Mm. Um, but uh, if you think about it, uh, COVID hit. Uh, we we had the worst recession we'd had for years, um, and and the companies admitted that these were some of the headwinds that uh, stopped them. But um, had they launched a uh, say a personal loan product over the last six months, they uh, would have picked a very difficult time to to actually do that because you would have uncertainty about people keeping their jobs, all sorts of different questions. So maybe that stopped them. For my listeners, uh, to, to effectively have a bank in Australia, you need to be an authorised deposit institution or have an ADI licence, which is issued by APRA, the regulator. One would have to think that, you know, because it's not an easy process to rock up to APRA and say, give me an ADI, uh, in the business plan for Zinja, there would have had to be, you know, a bit of a runway for APRA to actually grant the license. And then it's obviously come crashing down with this COVID thing. And you talked about the investment from uh, World Investments in Dubai. Uh, So a couple of things there. Can you chat to us about maybe why APRA allowed this uh, on the competition front and then maybe the the fallout of not getting that extra capital from Dubai? Yes, well, um, the banking licence they got was issued in September 2019. So that predates the involvement of uh, the Dubai World Investment. They, they were announced as, as going to put in about $430 million over 24 months. Now, that was made in March. So there must have been a business plan that was put to APRA uh, in in before September 2019, that had a pathway to profitability. Um, the I suppose the question that I raised in the column was, um, at what point did they know that they were not going to get the money from Dubai? Mm. Because 
from that moment, they probably had to go and talk to APRA and say, look, uh, this is this is not working. We don't have a loan product. We can't make a profit. Um, now, that, that obviously happened at some point. The question is when, because um, they continued, I think, to raise money to keep the thing going. Um, the thing about banking is that it's very capital intensive. And, um, you know, ironically, the sign of a healthy bank is a bank like Judo Bank, which is another neobank, it's constantly raising capital. Now, now Judo Bank has raised $1.1 billion, and uh, I was told yesterday they will have about $3 billion in loans to uh, businesses in Australia by the end of uh, uh, next month. So um, the reason they're raising capital is that, you know, banking is very intensive. Under the capital regulations, you need a... Uh, uh, a capital ratio, which works out at about, in Australia, it's about for every uh, $100 of business lending, you need about $11.50. So you can see it's very capital intensive. You compare that to, I suppose, our most successful uh, fintech export afterpay, they don't need any capital uh, at all, apart from uh, just the, the capital that they have to, to stand up their balance sheet. You become a bank and you are covered by APRA's regulations, it's very strict. But um, a growing business making money it generates organic capital. Do you think as a sidebar, Judo went after the business lending because the lending criteria is not as strict to direct to consumer? Uh, no, I think they went after that because the guys who founded it, uh, Joseph Healy, David Hornery, had worked at NAB in, in the Joseph Healy ran the business bank at NAB. These were very experienced bankers. You know, uh, it turns out that Eric Wilson, who uh, ran Zinger Bank, did work for Joseph Healy, but he was something like four executive levels down or three executive levels down below him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I'm not sure Eric's experience in um, – uh, you know, in, in actual credit management or, or what, what you might call, the, you know, the, the bread and butter of banking. Mm. It's interesting, uh, the latest kind of catchphrase that's out there at the moment with this open banking and banking as a surf, uh, as a service, uh, we've seen plays like Up come in, Hey, uh, Doe is the most recent one. Uh, it's an interesting uh, business model. Have you got any comments on using that model as opposed to going the traditional uh, bank route. Yeah, look, I think um, the, the I reckon the best business model for a neo bank is to pick off, cherry pick the most profitable areas of uh, of banking, and focus on those niche areas. And uh, obviously, we saw with Afterpay, maybe maybe we don't call that a fintech now. That's one of the biggest companies in Australia, but uh, you'd have to say it started as a fintech with a very innovative idea, and. Um, its success is really by targeting uh, the, the credit card market, which is in structural decline for a whole range of reasons, including the fact millennials and other people don't don't like paying 23% interest. Yeah, they'll, so, they'll kind of get you, won't they? <laughs> oh, they're going to get you. It's just staggering that we've got a, we've got a cash rate of 0.1% and, and you've still got credit cards out there uh, charging 23% interest. But... Um, 
I, I think Zinja, you know, they, they went and, and got a, you know, a, a good board of directors. Uh, one of their top advisors was a guy, Brett King, from the United States. Uh, he, he was the CEO of a US neobank called Moven. And uh, I thought it was very interesting that Moven um, basically announced it was shutting down in March last year. It couldn't make a go of uh, of, of lend- doing personal lending. Mm. It's just tough. So, um, but yeah, the, the 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 banks that that focus on niche areas and deliver something that has some technological edge that the banks themselves aren't, aren't able to do should do well. And I think for the whole millennial market, you know, you look at the up and the haze and the does of the world where they are kind of doing that layer approach where we'll just put the tech over the bank and get the bank license, we'll outsource that. It really is a marketing play and the best marketers are going to win that race, I believe. Yeah, and if you look at some of those other um, neobanks uh, and fintechs, say, uh, I think... um, Avenue, have you heard of them? No. That's, uh, George Bonfoss, who's uh, from Colonial State Bank. Um, uh, Alex, uh, of course, has got a guy, Simon Vietz, who was ex Suncorp. Hay Bank is run by a guy who used to run Metro Bank in the UK. Um, you know, we're talking about some pretty experienced bankers, uh, and that may have been the problem at Ninja that they. they they maybe didn't have that uh, someone to just say, hey, hold on, why have we opened the floodgates on deposits mm. without our own product? Yeah, 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 Banking 101, as you mentioned in the column. But I suppose the other questions are regulators. Uh, that, they'll obviously have a bit of a, um, you know, a really close look. I think in April this year, APRA said we're not going to give any more banking licences till at least September. And I think that's now been pushed off into sometime this year. That, that might be frozen for a while. I, I, I do like how you mentioned, you know, the good thing about this, no one was defrauded, no one lost their money. Um, it was, you know, it was that dance between uh, allowing some competition in the market and making sure people weren't getting screwed in the process. Yeah, well, I think that's definitely credit to the people at uh, Zinja to make sure everybody got their money back. Yeah. Yeah. Mind you, if, if it had completely failed, uh, there is, a, as you probably know, a government guarantee of up to 250000 uh on deposits in an authorised deposit-taking institution. So uh, everybody with money below that would have got repaid anyway by the government. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly a wild world. Uh, the whole thing to me, it just screams the whole, um, you know, when – Woolworths were like, we can do a, a master's here, you know, Bunnings down the road successful, we can just do do it and it looks the same and it feels the same, but it's quote unquote better. You know, they had all the capital in the world and they went at it. The learnings for me is nothing's guaranteed. And if it looks schmick and good, um, time is the ultimate judge, right? Yeah. And look, I think it's interesting you've raised that question about corporations with very large customer bases. And this is why I'm going to be very closely watching the progress of Vault because the Vault business model is basically to uh, partner with big you know, companies with big customer bases, supermarkets, telecommunications companies, you know, insurance companies, and provide a uh, the banking uh, facility that stands behind some sort of 
loyalty or reward system or uh, some other uh, type of product that is sort of white labelled for the corporation. And we know how hard it is to shift people out of their bank, right? No, nobody wants to change their transaction banking account. Yeah. And then change all the direct debits and it's just a nightmare. So the idea is that Vault will, that people will quickly, you know, in a very short period of time be able to just open a bank account and start transacting, um, uh, you know, through whether it's a supermarket or a telecommunications company for some other product they're offering. Mm. I mean, it's just so appealing. Like if you're one of these startup banks, like you only need the crumbs off the big four table to have a very, very profitable banging business, right? Well, look, the other example is Society One. Um, now, that's partly owned by Westpac. Mm. It's basically, uh, you know, your peer-to-peer lending, I suppose. You're, you're not, well, it's not really peer-to-peer lending. They, they get, uh, you know, wholesale money and they lend it out. And actually, I think there is a peer-to-peer involved in it. But you'd have to say after three to four years, five years now, they have $900 million in lending and they reckon they'll crack a billion dollars in 2021. Wow. Uh, now, Westpac that owns it, their loan book would be in total 89, I think about $90 billion. So um, when you take that and multiply it by four, mm. uh, you're saying there's about 350 to 400 billion of total lending on bank balance sheets of the big four. And a, a, a company going for five years might just get to a billion uh, this uh, this year, so yeah. it is is a drop in the ocean. Yeah. This is why I think <laughs> the big banks are sort of sitting back, watching, waiting. If if something really does take off, that's when they'll get uh, quite active. And I guess my prediction, like um, like anything, it's all about distribution and getting into um, to people's you know world. And like any business. Um, if you're big enough and there's a competitor who's created something that's better than what you can do, you can just scoop them up later. And I know as a, as a business owner, a lot, a lot of these guys and girls who build these businesses, they build them up to sell. I think it'll be, uh, it'll be a forever watch this space with what happens with these neobanks. Yes, yeah, so I heard about one yesterday. I can't remember the name, but um, these guys built up a great little uh, business that was sold for $40 million mm. and... It's uh, you know if that's that that can be your uh, you know at the moment where you get your sort of liquidation <laughs> and and make make all that money you know there's lots of huge companies that uh, tech companies that that turn down the offer mm. their their owners are now you know multi billionaires so there's always that um, thought and I suppose in the back of the entrepreneur's mind am I should I hold on yeah that's right. Well, I think it's a fascinating chat and it's a fascinating landscape to watch here in Australia. And I guess before you have some final words, Tony, my final word is probably there's basic principles that no matter how good something looks and how amazing the sales pitch is, there's basic principles that need to be adhered to. Yes, that's right. You, you, have, to, uh, you have to have some sort of pathway to profit. Yeah, and um, I suppose the other thing about banking is you've got to survive through the cycles. Um, you know, I know Judo Bank is very confident about the quality of their loan book, but uh, when all the job keeper stops and all the other things stop, 
um, we'll see not just them but every other bank. How, how good was their credit checking? How good was their uh, their sort of uh, prudential uh, systems? Yeah, yeah. And I guess if COVID didn't happen last year, uh, Zinger may have, in fact, secured that capital and kept on ploughing, but uh, wrong place at the wrong time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to see. I mean, hopefully, you know, investors are not turned off and they're still going to back you know, great Australian ideas and entrepreneurs. Yeah. I found it interesting that um, you've probably seen it as well, that Doe purchased the uh, investment trading platform uh, Goodman or Goodman's. Did you, did you see that? Yes, yeah. yeah. So they're yeah, already aggressively diversifying. Yeah, well, that's maybe the way to go. Well, we might leave it there. Tony, thanks so much for uh, having a bit of a yarn. We didn't really solve much of the world's problems, but I think it's interesting nevertheless to... Uh, to have a chat about this stuff. No, thanks, Glenn. Thanks for having me on your podcast. No worries. We'll uh, we'll have to get you on again soon. Okay. See you later. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 